Hey, yo. What's up? I'm sitting in a hotel room with the AC blasting, and I have my Alpha Brew live fast, die caffeinated hoodie on with the hood on. So I'd rather just dress up and bundle up in a cold environment so I can go to sleep in a nice, chilly-ass bedroom and get some deep sleep. But um, something that I'm experiencing this week is reverse ageism, if that's a thing. Is that the right term? People being like, oh, yeah, like you're in shape and you move really well. How old are you? Oh, you're 31? Yeah, it's because you're 31. Yep, it's because I'm 31 and I'm younger than you. That's why, like, I move better than you and I'm in better shape than you. Not because I put forth, you know, thousands of hours of training and research and dedication and commitment into a craft that I am passionate about, right? So that's always interesting. That's just, I don't know. I'm starting to give off these rants every time I do a, a podcast episode. But I'm sure anyone listening here has experienced the exact same thing. Just got to be like, yep. Just nod. Be like, yeah, it's because I'm young. It's not like I always had this mobility. Never had to work hard or always had this fitness. It's because I'm young. You're right. You are right. Anyways, sponsors. I got Nova 3 Labs, who I use on the daily because I take their max sleep and their max adrenal. And uh, those help exactly with the corresponding name. The max sleep helps me sleep, helps me sleep deeper, helps me recover better. But I don't wake up groggy. And I can push harder in my workouts because I'm better recovered. And then my max adrenal does the same thing, but it just helps my body deal with the mental and physical stresses. Like having to move, downsize a house, deal with a bathroom renovation before we move, having to rent the house out, having to still do everything else, right? Max Adrenal helps me do that. Max Perform is now my new pre-workout that I love so much. Go to Nova3Labs, Nova3Labs.com. Use the promo code AlphaBrew, and you will save 15% off of your order. And then you get to thank us later because you're like, dude, those guys are legit. They make awesome stuff. I'm like, right? Perfect. <laughs> next, next sponsor, Imam Box. What did I get last time? It was so funny. I got... I got a Nova 3 shirt. I was like, sweet, perfect. I got I got muscle-up bars from my friends who make muscle-up bars. I'm like, even better, I already eat these. I got a Zevia, which I always look forward to because I can't buy them in a grocery store. And I'm like, sweet, I get to drink a Zevia now. And it was a flavor I never had before. And I got like a junk headband. I was like, oh, that's going to the wife. Perfect, she'll use that. And I got like something else. I was like, this is sweet. And that's what they do, man. They put cool stuff in the box that comes to you every month. And it gives you a... a Big discount. The value you get is like twice what you would pay, if not more. Comes in every month. It just shows up. And you're like, yes, my Imam box came in. This cool little yellow box that you can see from like, if you're like driving up, you see that box. Like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Go to imambox.com. Use the promo code AlphaBrew, and you will save fifteen percent off of your order. And then, if you need or you want, you don't need it, right? If you just want a new belt, the self-locking roller that you can adjust on the fly really quickly that allows you to do like full astagrass squat movements. If you need new gymnastic grips, like maybe carbon fiber ones that cover your entire hand, if you need new lifting straps or new like grippy, stretchy tape for your hands, my friends at Element 26 have your back, son, 
They've been crushing it on Amazon for a while, and now they're venturing out and growing themselves as a brand. They're not just like, you know, selling on Amazon on Prime. So go to element26gear, element, the number 26gear.com. Use the promo code AlphaBrew, and you'll save 20% off of your order. Last but not least, Truest Hemp, makers of the finest CBD and hemp products I've ever come across. They make CBD drops. They make CBD muscle rub. Both of those things are going to help with your inflammation. The muscle rub will help you recover from a harsh workout. If you rub it like on your shoulders or your quads and you know you're going to be smoked the next day, do that and then wake up and then be amazed literally when you're like, I'm not sore at all and I really should be. That's fucking awesome. Or you like maybe push it a little bit too hard and you like tweak your shoulder and put that on there like wow this recovers so much faster than it normally would cbd drops we use their cbd in our truest tans coffee because it's amazing and we don't cut corners therefore the cbd that we use should not cut corners all of their products are zero percent thc so if you do get drug tested or you're worried about that stuff you do not have to worry with these products go to truestu.com Use the promo code AlphaBrew and you will save 25%. And I do believe there is free shipping in there. I should really confirm that. Anyways, this episode is another one of my favorites so far. I interview my friend Logan Aldrich. And everyone in CrossFit who knows or sees Logan always just sees him. If you don't know him, he's an adaptive athlete. He lost his arm in an accident. They see him and they're like, hey, it's the guy from like Fit Aid that does like really awesome, like impressive lifts and movements with one arm. And he is that. And he is a source of inspiration for a lot of people. But again, I wanted to dig into how he was raised, what his parents did, all this stuff to tease apart. And we go over like a very good thing about like what makes a resilient child a resilient person that allows them to thrive in the face of adversity. And when I mean that, I don't mean like just tough it up and get tougher and like push through it, work harder, no one cares. No, 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 no. I mean what allows them to absorb that kind of adversity and setback and trauma and not become like a twisted steel or like more embittered or cynical because of it and they're allowed to let it bounce off of them. And it allows them to rise to the occasion at that moment and really get past it pretty quickly without anywhere near as much post-event trauma that most people would have with the whole, like, don't cry, tough it out method. And I think Logan was able to do that when we talk about that stuff. When we get really deep, I was able to remember to ask some really good questions based on... um, just research and my wife being a therapist. Really good episode. Let's get into it. Let's go. Good rounds, good rounds. All right, guys. Today, really special guest, Logan Aldrich. Thanks for coming, brother. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're at the uh, Rogue Invitational yeah. at the uh, HQ for Rogue Fitness. Columbus, Ohio. We're on our second day, so we're dragging a little bit. We're a little bit tired. <laughs> uh drinking luck choices yeah luckily you have a, a good amount of fit aid to supply us that's right but we got what we need for those who don't for those who don't know who you are um 
who would you define yourself as? You know, that's a great question. And by default, most often, and I do this with like, like the receptionist at a hotel or something. Yeah. I define myself as the one arm dude, right? It's pretty yeah. easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's the obvious, most profound uh, identification yeah. of who I am. Of course. I think I'm many, many things before and after uh, that, but um, frankly speaking, yeah, I'm the one arm fitness dude. Uh, I do, uh, a lot of CrossFit stuff and, um, I'm, a I'm a young athlete and, uh, sales person for life aid and cool. I'm the one arm dude. I guess for those who don't know what life aid is, um, very successful, uh, sports drink company. Is that what you would identify? Let as? me give the appropriate pitch <laughs> right Go. now. Let me. Take Send this it. opportunity on this platform <laughs> to tell you what Life Aid is. No, it's, uh, I mean, really, seriously though, we're a functional beverage company that make um, vitamin drinks that you'll enjoy drinking. Yes, and they're fantastic. They are. They are fantastic. They're really good. Yeah, thanks, um, man. Yeah, I feel so the it, same way about your coffee. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, for those, I mean, you are mostly known as an adaptive athlete. Right. Incredible, you know, feats. Um, there's so much more to that, though. Where'd you grow up? Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Born and raised. Okay. And frankly, if you would have asked, uh, I believe, most of my friends and even my family, um, which I'm so glad and, f and blessed and fortunate that, like, we're, we're all right there in Raleigh. Yep. Um, my whole family's right in North Carolina. Okay. We're, like, natives to that area. But if you would have asked them with, uh, with me growing up, probably the last person they would have expected to still be living in the town I grew up in. Really? Now, granted... I travel most of the time, so I'm rarely actually home. But, uh, yeah, there's the more I travel, the more I, it, frankly, it's hard for me to justify living somewhere else because I love what Raleigh uh, offers. Did close you? to the beach, close to the mountains, okay. get all four seasons kind of experience. What about Raleigh weather. growing up, though, where you're like, I want to get out of here? I just always thought, and my friends always thought, and parents, that I would end up in California. Okay. Like I was the, you know, I, see that. I was the, the surfer kid, yeah. the skater kid. Like, uh, I was very fortunate and, and had a, an incredibly, um, great upbringing and went to a, a nice private school, had opportunity to play, um, lacrosse, football, nice. soccer, basketball, all the team sports and yep. all that sort of stuff. But my real passion was in extreme sports. Okay. And so just because of that, and like at that time, especially of like the X games and the Sean whites of the world, yeah, man. like my future was like Cali life, man. Like yeah. go out West, you know, long blonde hair surfing all the time. Yeah, I could that see was, you. that I was could the see future. You in that vibe for that was sure, the future, dude. man. Yeah. And that's what I was doing at, at uh, age 10, 11, 12 and 13. Yep. I was, the focus was wakeboarding. Gotcha. Uh, our family got a lake house up on the North Carolina, Virginia border. When I was like, nine and we were building a house up there and we were making a bunch of trips and it was close to home it was only like an hour and a half away we used to go all the time and and on that lake lake gaston um at that time like 1999 2000 time the uh the local uh professional wakeboarder named um michael powell was uh had just won world championship so he was like the best wakeboarder in the world it blew that lived spot up. in that spot. Yeah. Um, so we were so fortunate to actually buy his used wakeboard boat. And I felt that that was like my calling that I need to pursue wakeboarding. And frankly, like I didn't know what wakeboarding was before we got this lake house. And before I saw a boat go by 
in the in the in the canal and I saw this guy behind it like jumping the waves and trying to do flips and spins and my jaw dropped because I was just a skateboarder and a surfer before that and and snowboarder and then I realized what wakeboarding was and I was like this is freaking awesome yeah, brings it all together shit. and it's on the lake on a boat like let's do this wow. so I went full in on on wakeboarding okay did you go to uh, did you go to private school your entire like upbringing childhood like yeah man First through twelfth, cool. yeah, private same school, here. private yep. really, yep, yeah, same here. A, amazing school, and like yeah. graduating class of like ninety students, and that was like one of the biggest classes they've had. Like typically, it was around like 60, 70 students in wow. the graduating classes, so very small. Uh, and and frankly, I, I don't want to like uh, jump the gun here on our conversation, but so glad that I was in a dude. community like that because. When my accident happened, it was it was community. It was the same sort of community that we talk about in you know affiliates and all this sort yeah. of stuff, and how important and powerful that is. Yeah, my my world was supporting me uh, when when I went through this accident because I went to such a close knit private school that yeah. everyone knew, everyone was visiting yeah. the hospital, teachers, the principal, all those people, which was I didn't know it at the time. I just was like, oh, this is great, but like that made a big impact. That was profoundly important, and it's. And I give them a lot of praise and appreciation for that stuff. How big? How big is your family? Well, not too big. Um, like how many siblings do you have? I've got one older brother, yeah. but my parents are both—they're divorced and both remarried, okay. happily remarried. So, and those remarriages have step siblings that come along, and, cool. and I mean, they feel like they're siblings. It's been that way for so long. Um, and they're all younger, so I've got okay. with like my mom, and my stepdad, I've got two younger step siblings, and with my dad and my stepmom, I've got three younger step siblings. So the family quickly grew, um, yeah. and I love that because before, you know, all growing up, I was just the young one who got picked on by my older brother all the time. Okay, and, so you're second oldest love. in that hierarchy then. Yeah, yeah, I'm second oldest okay. in that. Yeah. What do your parents do? Uh, so, or what my, they, if, it's, if it's different, what did they do when you were growing up? Yeah, and what they do yeah. Now? yeah, it's a great question. I love to talk about it, and it is. It's actually pretty interesting. But um, my my dad um, Aldridge, he runs a family business, Aldridge Incorporated, and it's um, a commercial refrigeration company. Cool. We do all commercial refrigeration in like WalMarts and Publix wow. and Kroger's and all that. Awesome. Not nationwide, but in the the southeast, if okay. you will. Um, and that's like family business handed down from his dad and he took it over and has grown it uh, tremendously awesome and um sometimes I'm, I'm, i often kick myself for not being like why didn't i go into commercial refrigeration Jumping on that <laughs> shit. yeah take over the family business but he always tells you know it's it's uh you know blue collar work and which is n nothing wrong with that i actually frankly i i love that sort sort of work but he's like logan you need to do something you're passionate about and i am like this is such a cool yeah, of course. Never would imagine I'd be here talking to you on a podcast at the Rogue <laughs> Invitational doing this stuff in the environment I love, yeah. regardless of employment or passion or hobby. Like, it's he's he was right. I'm glad I didn't go into the family business. But did, did you work my dad for him does. like growing up when you were younger? No, anything, I mean or? I would hang out at the okay. warehouse and stuff. And and there was like one summer in college. You know, you come home from college, you need a summer job, and he put me to work in the warehouse, like cutting old copper out of you know old um uninstalls they did and taking it to the scrapyard like real grunt some, work some real some real grunt work yeah. some real humbling work where he was like trying to reiterate like look you're not trying to get into this business yep uh and i'm very grateful for having a dad like that the opposite of like that mentality of 
This is the family business. Someone has to take it over. I need one of you boys to step up and take this over. Not at all. The, the opposite of that. Like my brother is uh, extremely successful in what he does in terms of following his passion. He um, he is very different and similar to me in a lot of ways. Like if you closed your eyes and heard us talk, we sound exactly the same. Really? And uh, I don't think we look alike at all, but we're similar, like it's kind of skinny and whatever. But um, he's really into video games, like really into he's video games. He's a pro games. gamer? Yes. Awesome. Uh, wow, more so awesome, than being dude. a pro gamer, he geeks out about the design and development of them. So he works for Epic Games. Oh, wow. And he's, yeah, he's a, like a systems designer of Fortnite. So he makes the weapons in Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, man. He's a freaking superhero yeah, to most legend. kids right yeah. now in the yeah. world when they figure out who he is. So, yeah, that's what he does. And my mom, she's been in um, in mortgage. She's been in the mortgage industry her whole life okay. uh, from, you know, Wells Fargo and all those sorts of different um, lenders from, like, the wholesale lending perspective is where she's been. And extremely successful at what she did growing up. We Number did. one in the nation in sales for years and years. So it, it was. There's models. It, it there's was, models here to that shaped hard work. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Total what, credit. To when them. did they get divorced? That was. So, man, I was 16. Okay. So, yeah, that was 12 years ago. Did I might the, have been a little younger. So like, yeah, 12, 13 years ago. Okay. Did yeah. the step parents have a, like a big influence, do you think? Like, um, yeah. In your upbringing as well? What, I think what'd so. they do? I mean, they, um, it's crazy, man. It's crazy how all this works out. And, like, I, I knew of them before. Like, they were friends of friends, like family friends, acquaintances, if you will. And like, you know, the social circle of being in a private school and they were connected through that private school somehow, too. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, it's like I already knew them. And, and yeah, they've been incredible step parents. Like, cool. never have we had those instances of like, oh, you're not my real mom or dad. <laughs> like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. Really? No, okay. none of that, man. It was it was always the most uh, respectful, like appropriate relationship. Yeah. And nothing felt like pressed or, you know, and frankly, like when they when they divorced and started to date and then find these significant others and remarry and all that, uh, my brother was already off to college and I was okay. getting ready to go. So, you know, we were like in that phase of already like about to go in our own direction in our lives too. Yeah. So I wouldn't say they had like a, a big part of like my upbringing, but they're absolutely a part, a big part of my life. And like the family that I call okay. on each side of those sides of family. Okay. So, yeah. It's awesome. been a great relationship. And the sports, did you do only mostly like surfing, skateboarding growing up? Did you play any of the sports growing up? Yeah, I played uh, football. I played Pop Warner football. Okay. And man, like I was on a pretty awesome team. We were, uh, gosh, I was like sixth, seventh grade. What was that? Like 11, 12. And we went to like a national championship in Florida. Like we almost made it to, wow. to the big, to the big game. Like, yeah, yeah I was, I was always into um sports always into sports but football was the biggest focus until uh lacrosse when i found lacrosse right at that time actually like that middle school uh era i found lacrosse and fell in love with that sport okay and it's you know it it, it was brand new in the carolinas okay like, it was a very small niche uh sport and now it's awesome now it's massive and actually uh, my high school, I think two years ago, they won the national championship, at the lacrosse team. So that was like pretty really prolific cool. team. Then, yeah, yeah, really school, cool yeah. to see. Didn't used to be that way, but like it's it's become a really main sport in the area. Yeah, 
and I, I just became obsessed with lacrosse. Went okay. to summer camps all the time, and and um, I was lefty, so I was like, you know, one of those. I was a gotcha. you know attack wing. You know, I had a yep. sick left shot, so it was <laughs> like I brought a lot of value to the team in that yep. way. And so I really I loved I loved that sport a lot. And cool. I played soccer, and I played a little bit of basketball and all that. But okay. lacrosse is where I was like fired up, and I was still you know in the summers skateboarding or yep. wakeboarding and surfing as often as i could cool I'm still a beach bum at heart or yeah. a lake bum lake life if you will whatever you call it but it's funny because yeah we're uh we did we talked to matt o'keefe yesterday and just again there's very similar parallels here his dad has his own business made him work you know in the business doing grunt work and you know from the sounds of it like it, it's for all of us it's to have that one thing that's difficult and to make us realize maybe what we don't want to do for the rest of our lives right like, wow I, I i better find something that i want to do right um what kind of parents uh how were your parents in in terms of sports were they super involved were they like almost part-time coach right what no was that i like? love that i love that question yeah and i definitely want to try to give some more insight on this because my, the family dynamics like my mom was the hard ass. She was the okay. one that would like tough cop. Yeah. Just a bad cop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not that my dad didn't or wouldn't, but like he was always the more gentle, like understand. I don't know. You know, it's just, okay. He was always like the safe parent to go to mom yeah. would be like, Oh shit. She's going to beat our ass for having done this today. Like yep. she was hardcore, it's love, man. It's it was tough love, but, yeah. uh, but incredible love as well. Like, Firm but fair. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I last thing I want them to do is hear this and be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Like, uh, about yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, such harsh parents, not at all. But like, definitely, my mom was the tough one. Okay. The tough one on us. Um, and it just expected a lot out of us. Like, expected us to do to do the right things, to, to have proper manners. You know, like we went to Cotillion when we were younger. Like, it was important to be respectful and have manners. Yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and all that stuff. So, um. My dad worked all the time. Like he was running this this business and had a you know cruise all over the southeast. So uh, th there's a lot. Often times where we'd go on vacation, he couldn't go because he's got to manage the business. He's got to gotcha. be working. So there's a lot of time with my mom. And my mom being so successful in outside sales, if you will, you know, doing mortgage lending and all that, um, she really kind of wrote her own schedule for a long long time. So growing up, like she was very involved. Took us to games. Took us to you know. Never like coached or anything, but always there supporting. And I mean, I even had uh, I had a nanny growing up who was like a third grandmother, who is like the most amazing lady in the world. But um, she did the same thing. You know, when we were young. She'd drive, pick us up from school, take us to practice, things like that. Um, cool. It was very fortunate. But my my mom and my dad, they would always show up when they could to games. Uh, they would travel three hours to come watch a game. And wow. um, yeah, my mom was always always the one who made sure that. Um, we were supported, but like also held to a certain standard, I think, like an expectation of like, do good, do good and consciously think about the effort you're putting into things. And were you allowed to quit the sports? Do what? Were you allowed to quit those sports if you wanted to? Y yes and no. I remember one year I didn't want to play football and I got bribed into <laughs> the only way I could get a dog is if I played football that year. Ooh, so I did. They, yeah. they pulled that yeah, card, yeah, huh? Yeah, man, they went for it. So I played and we ended up getting a dog and that was awesome. It was ended up being a great dog, but I was, 
It was it was that tr- I just wanted to play more lacrosse. That was yeah. why I didn't want to play. Okay, oh, okay. I just wanted to play more lacrosse. I was in love with lacrosse. Why'd they want you to keep playing football then? I think it was just there was one more year in the Pop Warner League before it became before I was going to be playing for my school. Yep. And um, I'd been playing since the youngest age group you can play in that Pop Warner League. Yeah. So I think my mom was like, "Come on, just finish. Just like finish you've it played, through. you've been with this, yeah, this team for five years. Like just do one yeah. more." And so I'm glad I did. Of course, in hindsight, like yeah, it. yeah, not like that wisdom it, of parents to. When we're all young, man. That that dude, wisdom that's, to. That's everything, you know. That's yeah. like going to a summer camp. You sign up for it. You think it's gonna be awesome, and then like the week before, you're like, Mom, I don't want to go to this freaking camp. Like, I'd rather yeah. go skateboarding. It's like, nope, Logan, you committed to it. You're going. Woo. You're going. You yeah, stay true man. to your commitments. Yeah. And you show up and you have the best week of your life. You know, making the newest best friend that you have for the next ten years or something like that. And you're like, wow, yeah, man. Sure, I'm glad I did that. I thought it was gonna suck, and ended up being the best thing that I've ever done. So, yeah, that's I think that's life, though. You know, experiences we have. Yeah, we anticipate them and view them as potentially not the way we expect, and then yeah. ends up being better than we could have imagined. It's yeah, we were talking about that again yesterday, man. About you had a, a lot of intense team sports, like structured sports. Yeah, and you also seems like you had a lot of un, like unrestricted play of like surfing or skateboarding yeah or stuff like that yeah. it was like having fun so still being active still learning i would love to put into context a little bit about like literally where i grew up in raleigh because this is unique this is this is very different yeah we uh we live in raleigh anybody familiar with north carolina they know raleigh is it's not like it's not a big city it's not a massive city but it's by no means a small town either like yeah. it's good it's like one of the top five places to live in the country a lot of like uh, the Research Triangle Park there. A lot of, like, IT corporations are there. Um, but, anyways, we grew up in, like, the northern part of Raleigh. In what used to be, when, especially when I was growing up, like, like almost on the outskirts of, like, the city life. Or being, like, really kind of urban, a little bit more rural. But okay. um, we, my mom rode horses her whole life growing up and competitively rode so oh, wow. our house although now is like encompassed and surrounded by neighborhoods and developments was uh, a little bit out there in the woods and we're on like six or seven acres nice. but there's it's a, it, we we jokingly growing up called it the aldridge compound because when you pull <laughs> in the driveway from the road uh, at the top of the house is my aunt and uncle's house where okay. my cousins live you go down the driveway next to theirs and you go down this hill, and on the left are these two huge pastures where we used to raise horses, and now we have chickens out there. But nice. then on the, on the right is the house I grew up in and lived my whole life, and my parents. And But straight ahead is my grandparents' house, my mom's parents. So my mom has her brother you know, at the top of the hill with his wife and their three kids, and then her parents right to the right of us in their house. Um, and it was such a cool way to grow up. I gotta spent imagine, man. all my time outside yeah. in the woods getting, you know, dirty and building forts and all that stuff. But also I spent all my time not on this like structured, all right, mom and dad are leaving. The babysitter will be here at seven and yep. they'll be with you until t- none of that. No, it was just you got your aunt and uncle up here. You got your grandparents over there. And fortunately enough, we even had a nanny. You know, I had like someone yep. who would actually just hang out and watch over us. But. Like, it was just freedom. It was creative freedom. Do what, what do you want to do? And I, I, I don't know if you call it ADD, ADHD, or whatever. I just yeah. didn't like sitting still. I yeah. definitely 
couldn't stand just sitting in one place. Yeah. And um, and I always remember like I ate to live to live. I didn't like love eating. I would just eat okay. enough to be like, all right, am I done here? Yeah. Am I done here? And yeah. Can get I get back can out I get, to go and do something? Fuck out of here and fucking go play outside. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that was that was the that was how I grew up. Like that was the That's house awesome. I had, and and uh, we our neighbors raised exotic animals. So we grew wow. up that our neighbors, like right on the other side of the pastures, were ostriches, emus, wallabies, zebras. Crazy. Um, yeah, they had awesome like greenhouses with wow. um, incredible, incredible wildlife. And that was not, that was normal. Like yeah. tell my friends, as soon as they come over, that's the first thing we do is go over there and show them all. Yeah, of course. The, the alpaca llamas and stuff. Yeah. Like it blows their minds. But that was just normal growing up, seeing all these really cool animals and just yeah. being outside all the time. We're in a very similar situation. We live on a private road. Oh, yeah. And collectively, probably like 12 acres. We have like three plus, but our neighbors are just great people. Right. They're always there for you. And our neighbor, our neighbor behind us is a horse. So I have a two and a half year old son. And we're about to move to Brooklyn because my wife is back in the city. I work in the city. The commute's really long. Oh, and, nice, and, you know, we met in Hawaii. Like, so we're just like, this will be great for us. But man, there's obviously part of me that's like, I don't want to raise part of me. is like, I don't want to raise my son. I love, love to race him. He's, he loves to be outside too. He's right. just savage. He's outside all the time. He wants to see the horse, get the carrots. I'm like, maybe this would be a temporary thing. Cause I, we were both like, yeah, man, do we want to raise him in Hawaii where the values are, sounds like a lot like rally, like very tight knit family, like love nature, right. Um, animals. And it's like, yeah, man, that's definitely a concern that we have right now. We're like, yeah, that's how long are you this for? Yeah. What exciting times, man. Congrats. I didn't know you had a little one. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome, dude. It's, it's a blast. And, that's awesome. uh, Obviously, like the city brings cool stuff too, like yeah. convenience. But yeah. yeah, I mean, he's outside all the time now. I'm like, uh, it's gonna be a little bit tougher in a, a, uh -huh. a concrete jungle. Yeah, but um, <laughs> that's cool, man. That that actually probably speaks volumes. I think that's that's kind of rare to see nowadays. People like the family all lives right there, and it's something that a lot of people like. You know, having a nanny is what people have to do because they don't have any family around. Right, and we're like that too. We don't have any right. family around, so it's tough for us. That's why we're moving. Is that there's not really anyone like we can easily with the get babysitters and they'll fall through. It's exactly it's a big pain. Um, I didn't know. I definitely, you know, I was a kid. I didn't appreciate yeah. anything, but yeah. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't realize how fortunate I was or we are to have yeah. our family so close. Yeah. Like to, to, to be Hank, like my cousins are younger, but like to be, they're just, they're so close. They're yeah. a lot, we're a lot closer than I think most cousins are because we would just, hang out with each other and go play in the woods um, awesome. every day, you know? Yeah. And it was really, really great to be that close with family. Yeah. Um, uh, so I guess getting to, you know, the incident, the accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. I imagine. So you had, and you had like a double whammy. You had the community of your school and you have your entire family right there. Yeah. To help like post post incident. Um, I guess just explain what happens. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it, you're exactly right. I had the best case scenario for what happened. But yeah. um, like we were talking about earlier, we, we got a lake house up uh, on the North Carolina-Virginia border. And I just went all in on wakeboarding. Like wakeboarding became the most important thing. And my parents are very athletic. Like total credit to them for uh, any form of genetics. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And frankly, just ability, like total credit to both of them. My dad was a phenomenal baseball player and played at NC State. Nice. Um, and my mom went to UNC. She was an equestrian, rode very well. Yeah. But also, she's just, she crushes, like, 
half Ironman or half marathons now. She goes out and just wins them in her age group and like doesn't even really train that much for them, but she just wins them. Savage. Like she's yeah, she's awesome. And they're both just very fit people. Yeah. But um, we got a lake house, and I know they they my dad slalomed a lot. It was a really good slalom skier growing up, and just recreationally really good slalom skier. But I remember seeing and hearing about this guy Michael Weddington who had just won worlds and all that, and seeing. Uh, a neighbor of ours who lived like six docks down ride by on another friend's wakeboard boat and do some flips or attempting some flips. And I remember just being the most wide eyed jaw dropped at seeing that on a board oh, yeah. and just like the, the gymnastics of wakeboarding, like the aerial aspect of it and how much coordination and agility that took yeah. was fast. And it was just, you know, it was just, badass it was just rad looking i thought it was cool anything extreme i thought it was awesome and i was like i want to learn that i want to learn everything about that not just to go you know show off but like you're all in i want to go compete in that stuff yeah yeah Yeah, i was all in man and that was it so that guy who i saw who lived a few docks down came over like literally the day we bought the boat he came over and said hey my name's jonathan uh i don't have a wakeboard boat but i love wakeboarding i'd love to ride behind your boat and i was like yes i don't know how to wakeboard we just got this boat so please teach me sweet and he taught me and that's what we did every day every summer we spent the whole day on the boat literally training like fine-tuning tricks and ways to jump and and just trying to get better and um he's a few years older than me so he had uh, some good insight and wisdom and i respected and appreciate everything he said and um and he would often drive the boat too so that we could like go out and ride but yeah, we were just two young kids out there shredding the gnar, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and so 13, I was 13 years old, and we were doing exactly that. And it was another day, just like any other day. Uh, my parents were on the boat. My mom and dad were both on the boat. And we had a couple family friends and, and their young ones on the boat as well. We just finished riding. And like I said, he lives about six docks down from us on a nice, quiet little channel. So we dropped him off at his dock after he finished his set, and we pushed off the uh, dock. And on wakeboard boats, if, if people are familiar, they have a tower on them. Like, the tower is where the rope connects. Like, instead of the rope okay. connecting in the back of the boat yeah. for the ski it's rope, higher up. yeah, it's, like, above your the, above your head so that when you're wakeboarding, you get this, like, lift, this pull up into the, the air when you're jumping. Okay. Um, so the rope's connected there, and it's always my job at this point when, like, we're about to head into the dock to tidy up the boat. So I began to pull on the rope, and with the end of it being connected to that tower and the other end, you know, just out behind the boat, I I did that technique that people do to, like, uh, loop up an extension cord where you hold your arm in, like, a 90-degree angle and you over your thumb, under your elbow sort of loop system, if you will. Yeah. I was doing that technique, and I had a couple loops around my, my left arm, thumb and elbow and i looked back and noticed that when we pushed off the dock from jonathan's dock that we drifted over the the back of the rope a little bit and frankly in wakeboard boats the prop is like underneath the boat they're inboard motors like it's way underneath there what's in the back is like a wedge or like this thing that helps you get a bigger wake and all this so i thought it might be caught on that like underneath the back platform uh, so I, I remember looking back and I saw it was underneath the boat kind of back there. And I turned to my dad. I said, oh, dad, rope's underneath the boat again. And right when I said that, he went to turn off the motor, as he should. And we were just in gear. We weren't like cruising at 20 miles an hour. Or anything. We just, the boat was just in gear, putting along. We literally had 100 feet to go. And um, that propeller was still moving so fast. When it caught the rope right when I said that, 
it got close enough to the propeller. The propeller sucked in the rope, and uh, it just coiled around that prop so fast and with so much tension that it caused that rope to sl- slip off my thumb and cinch down around my my like upper bicep and tricep, if you will, as yeah. a, like a tourniquet, basically an extreme yeah. tourniquet around my upper arm. Yeah, uh, it did so tight, so fast that it just cut down to the bone. It cut through everything to the bone. Like yeah. it looked it immediately, just looked like rope was going in the inside of my arm and just coming out the other side. Like wow. you couldn't even see that it squeezed through. It just like because this rope wasn't like a traditional ski rope. Wakeboard okay. ropes, no elasticity. Okay. And this one specifically was coated in like in plastic. It was really thin and coated in plastic. Yeah. So it literally acted like a cable yeah. more so than a rope. Yeah. And and that's exactly how it responded when yeah. the propeller caught it. And, and so like to, to, to kind of paint a picture of it, I was just standing kind of on the back of the boat. Like I didn't get pulled in the water. It didn't it didn't like rip my arm off or anything. You know, it, sometimes it's, it's hard to explain it how I remember how it happened in my head. But like I was just standing there. And then just felt this little tug and a little bit of a jolt. And then my arm was just kind of hanging out just straight, just like that. And um, and it didn't even hurt in the moment. I just remember looking at it, looking at how the rope looked like it was going in on the inside of my left arm and out. And then looking at my hand and realizing my hand was just kind of limp, like my arm was just laying straight. My hand was just kind of limp. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I can't, I can't feel that right now. And immediately my mom was like, Wesley, his arm is my dad's name. And he, I mean, he's, you know, five feet from me standing at the, like, you know, at the cockpit of the boat. And he turns around and and steps over and grabs the rope and begins to unwind it from my arm. And as soon as he does that uh, is when I started to realize something really bad had happened. So as soon as he does that, I mean, like, without getting too graphic, but kind of a little bit graphic. Like a 360 degree discus of blood. Oh yeah. Not like it just started bleeding, like but arterial like arterial spray. It shot. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. It was insane. Yep. A white boat, a 24 foot white boat yeah. became red in literally 30 seconds. Yeah. From bow to stern, it was unbelievable. Wow. And uh, you know, and so he un- he unwound the the rope and immediately ripped his shirt off, wrapped it around, pulled the tourniquet as tight as he could okay. on the spot. Good for him. Had he not, you know, yeah, the artery oh, yeah, pumping out in your left arm, that artery yeah. coming out of the heart down the left arm. Yep. I was going to bleed out very fast. Oh, yeah. And um, but the way that it wrapped around your arm, too, man. Like Exactly. Yeah, like full wow. cut, uh, 360 him. down to the bone. So pretty, pretty severe. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea, you know. I, I, so that happened. And when that happened, I remember uh, – you know, my mom yelling to Jonathan, the friend we just dropped at his dock. It's literally, we're right in front of his dock at this point, yelling to him to call an ambulance. If anybody listening is familiar with uh, Lake Gaston, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Now, granted, it's only like an hour and 15 away from Raleigh, but in the moment, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go, where, like, where the hospital was. In hindsight, we should have just driven straight to Raleigh and gone to UNC Children's Hospital, but okay. we didn't know what to do. So we're coming back to the dock, and there's some fishermen like around our dock, and my parents are like, "What? Where's the hospital? What? What do we do? It's middle of June and in the summer up at this lake. Like, what in the world do we do on a Saturday?" Yeah. Uh, and they end up telling us some hospital to go to, some local volunteer hospital. Um, and I said I wanted to wait. I asked them to uh, sit and wait for the ambulance. So my friend Jonathan called the ambulance, and it was on the way. And we waited, and that ambulance took like an hour, which 
Fuck, it was a man. long time to be sitting there waiting. And I remember when I got out, when my dad was carrying me out of the boat, I was like, this isn't real. None of this is real. You know, he's 13 and shit just hit the fan. And like, yeah, yeah. the last thing I can do is accept this right now. And yeah. so I was like, this is a, just a bad dream. I was like, I'm not, this isn't supposed to happen. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to eat dinner and then wake up and train tomorrow yeah. and ride more. I'm like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. So I was like, dad, just bring me to my bed and show me myself and I'll wake up from this nightmare and it'll be fine. We can go back to training. Wow. And he's like, Logan, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not what's happening. But he did. He carried me up to the room and showed me. And I was just looked at the bed and I was like, damn. And I remember just being <laughs> oh, like, damn. All right. This is happening. And frankly, that's, that was a really uh, critical moment. Cause this is when I was like, recognized the reality of the situation. I literally like looked around and I was like, looked at my arm. I was like, all right, this is, this is, this is actually happening. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what this means, but like, an accident where I definitely need to go to the hospital right now is happening right yeah. now. And how inconvenient. That's all I knew to think. And we sit there and wait. And, and I remember waiting and, and feeling how, how weird it felt to feel my arm on my lap. And I thought my arm was over on my side. Yeah. And then it was on my lap. And that's when my brain started to be like, there's something really wrong here. This isn't just like a bad cut around my arm. Like, I can't feel any of this. I can't feel anything. Yep. And um, we got in the ambulance. And we're, and we're riding to this local little hospital with some volunteers um and my mom is in the ambulance with me and that's when the most profound uh statement was said that i believe shaped uh everything from my mindset and perspective of the accident and how i would uh perceive it um but i asked her you know i started to think about recognizing the reality of it and thinking about what all right what's about to happen what's the potential outcome of this and realizing how i can't feel my arm and all this stuff and how it's getting all black and blue and stuff and I asked her, I said, well, mom, what if I lose my arm? And without skipping a beat, you know, she's there. She's concerned. She's holding my hand um, in the ambulance. But without skipping a beat, she looks at me and says, Logan, it's just an arm. And that profound statement, I had no idea the time it was, but has definitely been the, the few words that I needed to hear to shape my mindset around what was soon to happen in the next few weeks which ultimately was the result of uh my left arm being amputated above the elbow and i was left-handed so i think okay. that's why that yeah. statement was so profound for me to hear because that's where it was coming from for me it was i'm left-handed mom if what if i lose this arm yeah. like that's my arm that's yes we have two but like that's my arm that's the one i really need oh yeah and her mindset or her you know her words were logan it's just an arm and I think as a parent, that was simply her way of saying, at least you're alive, Logan, like whatever. If, if we get through this and you're alive, yeah, good, yeah, whatever, forget the arms. But for me, I mean, yes, that's what that reminded. That's what those words instantly made me feel. But it also just was kind of a, a much easier way to accept what was happening and to realize, to express some gratitude at the end of the day. And at the most unfortunate event I feel like I could have, there's still silver lining. There's still optimistic outlook. Like, well, yeah. I've got this other one over here. Now it's a good chance to learn how to use this thing. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, as like a parent now, when my kid, you know, falls down and really hurts himself, like you want to be there. Yeah, you're obviously, I'm there for him. You know, like you, you feel his pain. You want it to go away. I can't imagine what that was like. And for her to say that in that moment, I think you're right. Where she's like, dude, all I care is that you're, you're safe. Right. Right. I heard her say that's like a that's a superwoman right there, and I gotta imagine that 
yeah, that was crazy, like, that one pivotal moment. But, man, like, sounds like you, you grew up with, like, rock star parents and a great family. If you hadn't maybe had that, it would have been much more traumatic, regardless even if you had heard that line from your mom where it's like, yeah, I, I feel safe, feel secure, like, I'll be okay. Like, exactly. It's a very nurturing environment. That's the part that gets the, um, the least attention and the least um, respect, in my opinion, yeah. was how fortunate I was to have the... Like whatever the, you want to call it faculties. support system yeah. the belief system yeah. the, the 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 community around me yeah um i am so lucky it was overwhelmingly uh positive in that regard yeah. i mean you know being in icu i was in icu for a while because they were trying to save my arm like yeah. i got to the hospital and they took skin grafts and took arteries out of legs and like they were wow. doing everything they could yep. you know 14 years ago and nowadays if this were to happen they definitely would have saved it but then it was like pretty cutting edge trying to save it and um the the ultimate result was we just missed the window my muscles had been dead for too long they were taking the blood was flowing in but not coming out they weren't able to regenerate so that's why the amputation had to happen and frankly i am so glad that it did like you see a lot uh, especially um combat wounded veterans like salvaged limbs go through a lot of pain and issues right yeah and 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 i'm just I'm glad that I was able to have this just clear cut, no pun intended, but like no, yeah. literally clear cut amputation. Like yeah. it was just, it because it was it was a tough moment. The two weeks in the hospital, like there was a lot of like hope, or like it, is it false hope? Like are we being silly by thinking, oh Logan, you might just have a really cool scar around your arm? I was like, no, no, no. Even at the end of the day, if they would have saved it, this arm would have had no sensation, probably very little function, and it would have yeah. been more of a hindrance than a help. In yep. my life. So I'm really glad that, and it was my parents' decision at the end of the day. Like, they were going to keep trying to save it and do all this, but parents said, nope. You know what, doctors, let's, we went in for surgery to look at it and see what the damage was. And they're like, it's pretty bad, but we can still try to go down PT and all this. And my yeah. parents are like, nope, let's just amputate. And uh, yeah. obviously, you know, I was 13, wasn't a decision I could really make, but yeah, they course. definitely made the right one, in my opinion. Yeah, man, a lot of people don't realize a lot of veterans that get, you know, you know, traumatic injuries from explosions or gunshot wounds and um it doesn't get emptied right away and a lot of them end right. up voluntarily because they have so much pain so many issues like you're talking about infections yep and it's a long it's a long road yep. um and that yeah that's good on them i guess because i can imagine yeah mentally too that that kind of if you're 13 man like it's not like you're a hard you know you know, right. soldier, yeah, you right. know, marine, well, my mind ship, my mindset is shaped and I'm just, yeah. I'm yeah. Figured out how to deal with adversity. No, I didn't know what was, I didn't know yeah. what was happening. Yeah. I was, you know, a sheltered, privileged little 13 year old boy. Like this yeah. was not supposed to happen to yeah. me. And you know, it sounds silly to say anything can happen to anyone, yeah. but like, man, it was the most important experience for me to go through because because I was a bit of a fucker before my accident. <laughs> I was a bit of a fucker. I was that a bit dude, of a... That'll be the quote on the picture of this uh, of this post when we announced this. I know. I was I was I, I was gonna I was thinking about watching my words there, but no, at no, the dude. end of the day, yeah. that's the truth. You know, yeah. I was a punk man. I was, yeah. you know, I was looking yeah. up to Tony Hawk and Sean White, and yeah, and I was like, I was trying to be that rebel, you know, yeah, drinking energy drinks and beer bong and Dr. Pepper at the beach, like a little beach <laughs> bum, like 
smacking asses of like the older girls hanging out at the beach. Like yeah. I was a little punk man. Like I played a lot of paintball with a lot of older guys. Oh, like, yeah, I was too. into like the, re- the rebellious stuff. Like yeah. I was, you know, I'm not, I wasn't like a criminal or anything, but like I was, you know, I did what I probably shouldn't do. Yeah, I man. got excitement and fulfillment out of doing yeah, that yeah, and rebelling. Yeah. And uh, that experience at 13, although, you know, still very young, like, it definitely forced me to grow up. I, I felt in a, yeah. I felt that I gained a, a very big, big, like, just uh, appreciation for the things that I have and the opportunities I have and the life I get to live and, and obviously, like, just the function of the body that I have. Yeah. I became very uh, grateful. I don't know if this is a question you need to answer. Is that you're, you're saying like, you know, you're you're glad you're obviously, I guess, first of all, your dad to throw to do a makeshift tourniquet like we had. Yeah, is amazing. So like we had Mike Rohan who runs Dark Angel Medical and it was just a, a good episode to be like, guys, even if you're not a cop or firefighter, like you should have as a parent, as a good citizen for yourself, your loved ones or just random strangers, you should have like dude, it's a kit in your car that you can have. And having a tourniquet and knowing how to put it on, like that shit can happen to any of us. And I want to drive. I never want to drive fear into people. Right. Um, right. It's it's a very low barrier to entry cost. Exactly. Um, stuff like that. And now you mentioned that I'm like, where are places that I frequent? Let me let me. I'm gonna do it now. I'm gonna go in my phone and be like, we go to that. We go to a lake house. Our friends have. That's the nearest hospital. I can just put that thing in my GPS and have no decision fatigue. That is the SOP. I can do that. What's the nearest hospital to me? I know that fortunately, but. When things happen, you yes. don't want to have to do that. Um, yeah. So like a shameless plug, like guys, like <laughs> please do that again. Like his dad was fucking awesome rock star for doing that. Like he probably saved your life. Saved my life. He saved your life for sure. You got like two minutes for certain. You got about two minutes till you bleed out for certain. From an artery. Uh, the doctor like that. said that uh, repeatedly. Uh, the volu- the volunteer EMS and the yeah. doctors when I first got to this volunteer hospital, um, they were. F- fascinated that i was not unconscious and he, yeah i was gonna, i was like yeah i was gonna ask you you didn't go into shock or anything no, he did it no. with a shirt yeah he did it with a shirt yeah dude how fucking tight did he tie that shirt incredibly, he's a bad motherfucker incredibly man. tight i didn't know i couldn't I, feel anything i'll but tell you right now i don't think if you if he you, sealed it down to the bone i don't know if if i could do that with yeah. a shirt yeah i'm dead serious i that's insane it was crazy man i yeah. didn't i didn't question it i didn't look at you know it was it was a lot to handle at the moment so I didn't even want to yeah. like see it. I didn't want to look. Yeah. He just did what he had to do. And then it was just, he just, we just sat. We literally sat in a gravel driveway for an hour waiting for that ambulance to arrive. And uh, yeah, had he not done a, a really good job on a tourniquet, you been plenty of time to have bled out. Yeah. You wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the, the, and just to continue the story, or I think it's an important part to note because it really shaped uh, some of the decisions and actions I took after my accident. But when we got to that local community hospital, uh, they wheeled me out of the ambulance and they immediately were like, this is such level one trauma. We are not prepared or able to deal with this at all. Of course, yeah. You need to go to Duke or UNC Children's Hospital. And um, they called both. Duke was like, we could be we can get a helicopter in the air in like 15 minutes. And UNC was like, our Tar Heel one is in the air on the way. Here are the coordinates you need to send them to. So they put me back in the ambulance and then they... They, the coordinates were was literally a cornfield, so we ride out to this field, bumping along, and they go to pull me out of the ambulance, and I see this med, you know, medevac helicopter come swooping in, and at this point it's like almost sunset, like it's getting dark, but I see it come swooping in and land right in front of me. 
I'm talking like some shit straight out of a movie. Coming in hot. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, you know, and everything was very serious and like, I'd been very, you know, scared and serious. This happened and I looked to the, the nurses that was next to me and I was like, is that for me? And she was like, yeah, that's for you. And I was like, that is badass. <laughs> she was Dude, like, you were a little shit. She was like, what? The, are you, you realize what's going on right now? I was like, this is You're awesome. Like, yeah, I'm about to ride off in a helicopter. Yeah. Sunset lady. This, like, is this is awesome. awesome. I was like, mom and dad, I'll see y'all later. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, they, they, I mean, it was like a, an hour drive. So it was like a 15 minute helicopter ride. But yeah, they, they picked me up. My parents drove to the hospital. Uh, it was, so UNC Children's Hospital took me in. And I got in there and just immediately overwhelmed by, like, the amount of physicians and surgeons that were talking to me, asking questions. But not, like, asking the type of questions that make you be like, holy shit, what? I'm in this white-walled room with these guys with white laboratory shirts on and, and, and masks. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, it felt like they were, like, caretakers. Like, they were, like, family. Like, they were asking my That's name, weird. asking, like, they were just, it was really personal. That's and good. Um, I don't know if all physicians at Children's Hospital are, are trained to do that sort of thing or be that that in tune with the emotions of what's happening. But yeah. like when they decided to amputate my arm, um, the surgeon was crying. He was crying just as much wow. as my parents were. Like he was just as affected and moved by it, and had grown so close to us over the two weeks that we we had leading up to that and trying to save it. So like there was a b- intimate connection with. Yeah. Uh, the people that waited on or, you know, that's helped me and that were a part of that hospital, generally speaking. And I spent so much time there. I really started to become a goofball and, just, and just, get to know them. Like my brother, would, my brother would come in and like fill up the uh, little urine cups with yeah. apple juice and write like urine on it and then walk around. <laughs> sipping it. It's just so the nurses would freak out and think oh, he was man. drinking somebody's piss. Oh, yeah. He used to mess with them a lot. He, he's, he's like the class clown for sure. Yeah. So, so I, I say all that just because. That was like a, a, a really important part for me to recognize and in my recovery as well, along with all the people that came to visit me and all the family and friends and the teachers and everything like that's what drove me to uh, feel that uh, a big part of my recovery was the immediate um, environment I was in in the hospital. The amenities that were there and the yeah. things that the facility offered. There was like a game room where I could bring all my friends. We could just hang out and be friends in a Great, game man. room. Normalizing so in an ICU yeah. room. Uh, that was important. Yeah. And um, that started me thinking about how can I help give that back to yes. other children's hospitals. Yes. And um, that's where the, the Logan Aldridge Foundation came about. And that wasn't just like one day like, oh, I want to make a foundation. No, it was my mom was working for Wells Fargo at the time. They had an annual conference coming up and it was about a year, almost a year after my accident. And I'd done pretty well, like like getting back to normal, like going to football camp, like doing active training and stuff and running a lot, getting back in the water. And, um, my mom noticed I was really comfortable sharing like my story, whether it was a little kid I bumped into or was curious at the grocery store, or it was a friend of a friend who just hadn't heard about what happened and asked, like, uh, I was happy to talk about it. And like the first day of school after that summer, I I sat down the whole student body and I was like, listen, I want to tell you all what happened. Like, I know you probably heard, probably heard versions of the truth or maybe you know exactly what happened but like just for clarity purposes and for my own sake i want to tell you i want to tell you it's cool to talk about it like you can come up to me and we can have conversations about it um and that's what i did have you always been like that i i think so openly sharing yeah yeah yeah. when i was young like 
I did like chi- I did like children modeling. I did like <laughs> I did like little kid acting. Like really? my mom thought okay. I was gonna be some little you know just superstar little kid. Like in did you want you like I want to be an actor? Or they did they were like be like hey let's try this out. No, my mom just thought I was a cute little toehead. You know, all I had white hair, bowl cut, yeah, with yeah. big glasses. That's you ever seen Stuart Little? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. I looked exactly like the kid from Stuart Little. We we'll have to pull that up. And they That's just great. thought I was. My mom thought I was the cutest thing, you know, like any parent probably. But, of course, yeah. But yeah, the acting stuff, I mean, not the acting, but the modeling stuff was actually like, it was actually like really working. It was taking off. Wow. And all, when the, our next move was to move to Atlanta because that's like a big place for, I guess, modeling or youth okay. modeling. And I was like, no, no, mom, I do not want to do that. No, no, I want to play sports. I don't yeah. want to go stand and have pictures taken of me all the time. So quickly, quickly bailed on that. That pursuit. But, yeah, I've always been – and I think it's my mom has too. My mom has always been an entertainer. Yeah. She's the She loves more than anything hosting events yeah. and, and, and being the, the person that brings people together or that brings energy and light to, to an audience or to a group. And I think she realized that I was pretty confident to talk. Yeah. And she gave me the opportunity and not even – like I didn't even ask for it. She just kind of said – my son lost his arm a year ago, and I'm sure he would love to be our guest speaker at the Wells Fargo annual conference. She knew. She's like, "Yeah, he'll be fine with this." I went He'll and spoke, to. man, and it was uh, it, it was an awesome experience. Did you? I didn't know what I was talking about. I was 14. Did you just ramble? Did you even practice a no, speech? No, I mean, or yeah, well, I practiced. We had a script. Okay. I mean, not a script, but I had I had an outline, I had okay. an outline to follow. But I, that's all it was. It was telling my story, telling what I had done over the past year, and then trying to identify in that year um, steps I took to overcome my challenge, my obstacle. And then I would relate how those steps can be applied to other crises in life, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a divorce or a young kid and having to move across the country and start a new school. Like these yeah. are all, these are all challenges. These are all crises that we face and in the moment yeah. are massive and monumental oh, yeah. in our mind. And so I was losing an arm, but I tried to relate all that and I I still think I still don't know how or why at 14 I was trying to figure that stuff out, but I, I was, and the speech ended up being uh, a lot better than I would have thought it would have been received, and uh, it was a snowball effect ultimately. Yeah, like that led to 20 more speeches, and then a marketing agency wanted to help promote me, and then news broadcasters wanted to you know do interviews because here I am, 14 year old kid uh, with one arm, confident on a stage and I don't know that I'm, I was a good speaker, but I guess good enough to convey a message that yeah. people thought like I'd been doing it for a while. And I'm like, how long do you think I've been doing this? I'm only 14 years old. I but. guess, but I, I got to imagine being like a child actor model made you comfortable in front of. I think so. People. Cause that was the biggest question that our curiosity that like my friends and my family had, they're like, well, he might be able to like tell someone about his accident and all that, but like yeah. public speaking, that's one of the top five biggest fears, right? Like people, probably number one. Yeah, people hate doing that. Do you, and I had no, I I had the butterflies just like we all do. Yeah. But like that was I didn't that wasn't me. My brain wasn't relating that to fear. My brain was like, oh, this is exciting. Oh, this is like, this is a really good. It was the same feeling before I would drop in. On the half pipe, say, on a man, skateboard. That explain, it's like that say, it explains a lot. Like It was that adrenaline yeah. rush. Oh, yeah. And then you're up there, and it's three, two, one, go. Or, you know, yep. somebody's saying crossword, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but, you know, start the speech, and then it's yeah. like you're in a flow state. Now yeah. you're in a flow state. It be now it's super just like exciting surfing a, a huge wave like and getting barrel. Like, it's all relatable yeah. in my mind and yeah. how I perceived it. 
Yep. And you finish it, and you're like, that was sick. Very good like, funnel was... for uh, something non-sports related that yeah. like requires that same kind of uh, yeah. ability to to capitalize on those on those uh, adrenaline and epinephrine it was, stuff. It was, uh, it was too good to be true, the yeah. opportunities that came about. And, and that's when I started the, the nonprofit because I wanted to give back to children's hospitals. And the Logan Aldridge Foundation was a way for me to take um, this opportunity that I was having on speaking tours, this, this incredible amount of money I was getting paid, yeah. and to funnel it in a direction that I thought was really important to help other children's hospitals have the sort of amenities and, and frankly, just the setting, the appearance of, you know, pretty animals painted on the walls and colors and and a game room and and raising money to help make that stuff a reality. And we ended up doing some pretty cool stuff with like Nintendo Wii's partnering with Nintendo to put like mobile Nintendo Wii stations into uh, pediatric wards so nice. that kids could just. You may be bedridden to whatever illness or injury you're facing, but like virtual ping pong is fun. That's like, all. Oh, yeah. It goes a long way. Yeah. I literally had that, uh, and I, gi I give ping pong a ton of credit for uh, developing my dexterity and hand-eye coordination okay. with my right hand. Nice. Um, and I thought, what a cool way to, to introduce that while somebody is in a hospital, uh, whatever reason it may be. But it's just a brief moment as a kid. I think you should definitely experience that just takes your mind out of the hospital for a second. Of course, yeah. Whether that's through a video like game the, or hanging out with friends. reality situation. I yeah, guess. right, yeah. right. So uh, I was really, really so lucky to be able to do that sort of stuff. And um, it did really well. And then I worked with UNC Children's Hospital to raise money annually at their Radiothon and donate more money to other hospitals and um, worked for Together for Kids Foundation um, nationally to – to help do that exact same thing. I just, that's, that's just something where I have a big passion, like yeah. creating empowerment, enablement and opportunity for, for the kids, uh, especially ones facing a traumatic injury or illness yeah. is, uh, my life's purpose. Like I believe is why I'm on this earth. I take every advantage when I, uh, get in touch or a friend of a friend reaches out and said, I know of a, another friend of a friend whose son just was in an ATV accident and lost his arm and he's 13 years old and he played football and lacrosse and now he doesn't know. I'm like, wow. First of all, it's eerie sometimes how similar these stories are, but it is my number one priority to go and meet these individuals. Not because I think I am special or that I have something incredible to share or I should be their role model by any regards. I think the opposite of that, frankly, like I'm just another dude, but I know the profound impact that those visitors, that those supporters had on me, yeah. not in the moment, but years later, I could recall and relate to those instances being the ones that helped develop my confidence, my perception and, and, and understanding that this is going to be okay. And, um, creating those relationships and trying you know, uh, passing it on, like trying to do the same for someone else, I believe is why I'm on this earth. And yeah. hopefully, I can do that justice and and just be a resource or uh, um, a sounding board for somebody going through a hard a hardship, whether it is them literally losing an arm like mine or uh, anything in their life. Like I just think that's that's what I I like to do, and I think I'm I'm pretty good at, at listening and, and trying to instill some positive hope and outlook on the situation. That's so powerful, though, for, you know, for that one person to go and especially if they're a kid to go through, you know, what you've been through and to have somebody who's like who's literally been there. So <laughs> you yeah. can relate. You've been through that to go visit them and, you know, be that mentor. That is, dude, that's that's awesome. That's so life changing. Um, 
It's. And, I mean, frankly, it's selfish in a lot of ways. Like it isn't. It though, is like, extremely yeah. fulfilling for me. Yeah, well, of course, it feels great to give. Right? Yeah, it feels great, and you're saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, but I think, you know, I I think you're just being great. It's great that you're humble. You're like I'm just a, I'm just a dude trying to help out. But uh, I think you know, given the way you were raised and the parents that you had, the that they set you up so well to be able to handle that kind of incident. I think most of us would, would seriously, it would, it would take a long time and it would like bend the metal of armor that we have and like put holes and like maybe we can repair it. But um, I mean, like it seems like yours just like was so well built being raised with how you were raised and all like the family, the community that you had. And just like that shit just bounced off. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And you just took it in such stride and you loved extreme sports. Right. So, like being able to give public speeches. But right. that's so powerful, man. Like you're exactly you, right, though. Do, do you remember? If you're like, were you, were you able to share? Did your parents tell you when you were a kid, like, Hey, like if you, um, sharing emotions, um, uh, like, Hey, like I'm, I'm sad or I'm angry or do, was we, yeah, no, that's a great question. We said, I love you all the time. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. and you know, I was a, a moody teenager, just like any well, other teenager. Yeah. Yeah, I was a, Fuck yeah. And like I like I've mentioned many times, I was a punk of a kid, so I definitely experienced a lot of anger emotions from my parents as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my that's like what I was talking about earlier. Like my dad was always the one that would love to cuddle us a lot and like yeah. really like He's be a softy. like a teddy bear to yeah. us. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and my mom was too. My mom was extremely endearing and, yeah. and sweet, but very hard too. Like made sure you stayed a little bit tough, you know, yeah. and had that expectation to you know. Yeah. Do the right things and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, no, that was, uh, my brother was always a little bit more sensitive than me, I think. Yep. Like I'm, I'm very not dry, but like, I'm like, all right, that is what it is. Like stoic. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah like when I heard about, you know, you know, the un extremely unfortunate news for a family to hear about your parents getting divorced, you know, it was very sad and it sucked. And it was super hard for my brother, really, yeah. really. And, and it was hard for me, too, absolutely. But I got, like, I, I just, I took it for what it was. And I was like, this is what it is. And I get it. If you, yeah, if you don't love each other, like, you should leave each other and find somebody you do love. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. And it wasn't a lot of, like, tears for me and things like that. It was like, I get it. That checks out. So my emotions were a bit different. Like Roger. And, and I don't cool. know if, like if any of this stems from, yeah, losing the arm. And I'm like, that was such an extreme emotion. Anything else just kind of feels less, but I'm a sensitive guy. I'm a pretty sensitive guy. Yeah. <laughs> Emotions um, are important. How, so, well, let me, this is the first time I've actually asked him this. I keep telling myself I need to, I need to ask these questions. How do you view yourself? Who was, who do you view yourself as? Oh, wow. That is super open-ended. I know that is a great so, question. So I'll frame this. Who do you view yourself as? Who do you think the world views you as? And then who would you like the world to see you as? Wow. My Jeez, wife's a therapist, man. man. She's a, yeah, she's a, she's a wizard. Yeah. I, 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 okay. Let me try to answer these questions. I view myself as, um, as like how do i say this like as a as a resource as like a optimistic resource yeah like i view myself and i try i hope others view me 
as someone who is genuinely trying to add value to other people's lives. I hope that the world sees me as someone trying to live a life of, of uh, purpose, but not my own purpose, of a life of service. Like I'm trying to, in an in a open source way, and I say open source in terms of like whatever I learn I want to share. I'm trying to use what happened to me at 13 and living this life now that will be with one arm as an opportunity to share how confident and comfortable and proud I am to be what people see me as on the surface, which is a guy with one arm. Yep. I want to own that so much so that it's freaking cool to yep. have one arm. Like, I want to flip the script on the societal, cultural stigma on what it means to see an amputee to be like, not a, not a subtle emotion of sympathy on, oh, man, that sucks. But yeah, instead, yeah. damn, that's badass. Like, that's, like, shifting. The, and it's, it's happening. This isn't me. It is. This yeah. isn't just me at all. Yeah. This is the world we live in now. Yeah. And it's happening. And I'm so fortunate that I get to be a part of it. And I hope that my actions and the words I say and the messages I try to share are ones that um, transparently reiterate exactly that. And I think, I hope that its impact is not just for those missing limbs, but it's for anybody who is facing some sort of mental hurdle or crisis or um, challenge in, in and of themselves, whether it's like self-talk or the way they view themselves or uh, weight issues or excuses why they don't do something like I think all of it's relevant and I hope that the type of action and life I try to live and preach helps people realize that they are far more capable than they think um, and that they can truly do anything they want and I know that's often sounds pretty corny but that like there's no reason to accept expectations anymore and and that's what my experience has been over the past 14 years is that like expectations are rough. And, and what I mean by that is <clears throat> I lost my arm, left arm. I was left-handed. Um, doctors told me I wouldn't write again. I thought that was the most far-fetched thing. The f most far-fetched expectation that could be placed on me while I'm in the hospital trying to uh, just grasp, come to terms with the fact I lost my arm. They're bold enough to tell me, Logan, you probably won't write again. And I was not knowing anything at 13. I was like, why not? Like, all you got to do is just practice a lot. Like, if I write enough with my right hand, I'm pretty sure it will become legible and I'll be able to write. Like, they were saying you're not going to be able to write with your other hand? This hand. I would never write hand with this hand. That's perfectly normal. That's totally that's, fine. Right hand has no problems. Why do they say that? Greatest, greatest question I've ever had is why would they place that sort of expectation on me for what I could be capable of? That's, why that's would insane. why wouldn't they at least just say oh it's going to be really hard to learn dexterity of your right hand but no that was the the first statement that they said and my reception of that was all right i am definitely going to write with my right <laughs> yeah, hand yeah 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 you know and it wasn't to like prove them wrong or like oh i'll show you but uh this this became common and not from a negative place at all like they didn't mean anything negative i uh, hope they didn't mean anything negative by yeah. it but like friends and family too you know you just expect oh let me get that door for you oh you need help picking up that box like yeah there's often things i do need help with but like i don't ask for it i just try to figure it out myself but yeah like those 
those instances were um, were eye-opening to what expectations do to people. Oh, yeah. And man. what I started to discover in my own, like, research and looking up, like, the history of what expectations are. And uh, I, I came up with a conclusion that they're – my definition is that they're prejudgments we place on ourselves and one another that typically limit potential. Um, and when I was – Defining it in that way, I was finding really relevant quotes from like Michael Jordan saying, if we accept the expectations of others, especially the negative ones, we'll never change the outcome. And that resonated uh, very deeply because it was something I had a direct experience with. Yeah. So that's what I talk about a lot when I speak is like the power of expectations, not just the ones we place on ourselves, but the ones we put on other people. Yeah. And how it just limits potential at the end of the day. Yeah. It, you can always do more and do better than you thought. I got to imagine your parents probably never told you that you couldn't be a professional wakeboarder or a professional skater. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, they never told you that. I think yeah. me and my wife talk about this all the time is those things that you hear when you're younger about like, you know, well, buddy. Let's let's be let's just be uh, realistic here. Probably not going to be a right. professional. It's going to be really hard. Right. Just that, even that, um, that puts that little voice in people's heads, and then when something comes up that's difficult, and they give up. You're exactly right. And um, you know that's a great point. Yeah. I definitely was never told that. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah, I, I would imagine. I was like, I'm pretty sure I could just assume. And uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's that's crazy. Those doctors said that. I got to imagine like it's tough for them. They want to manage the expectations of of a patient but man to tell a kid that like i will i will never tell right. my son or any of my children or really dude anyone i'll never tell someone that they can't do something yeah that they'll I'll never, never be, be able person. to do something i'll never be that person yeah to be like yeah i mean you know what like you know i just don't think that's going to be realistic that's, you should probably do something else literally a lie like you can't it yeah is, in any in dude. any capacity you can't tell someone they'll never be anything. There's been you can do and be anything you want. And especially, like, your accident wasn't that fucking long ago. Like, no. there have been plenty of no. stories from hundreds of years ago of yeah. people who have over Helen Keller. Like, right, right. <laughs> what the fuck, man. dude? Like, and it was just a, I mean, you know. And it was, what is, it it was, was just even, an arm. It wasn't like I lost half my brain or something. I mean, I'm yeah. still cognitively totally fine it's just relearning some dexterity and then you're just writing it, yeah it wasn't even like they were like uh yeah you're never gonna be able to do a two a two-handed snatch again or right, like right. you're like yeah you're just not able to write with like your the real right the hand. real physics of some things yeah. i could understand but yeah, yeah just writing it's gonna you're a little punk enough to be like what are you talking Dude, about it was it was I'm definitely using this fucking right hand right you right know? That's exactly great. exactly and that's Man. just one example of of many but like that's the the perspective i started to take and it was never from a place of i'll show you or i'll prove you wrong it was just this is this has now become even more important for me to do for my own sake and it was there's plenty of things i would fail at there's plenty of things that were like you might not be able to do this and i would try and be like yeah i can't do that but yeah. i had to try like i had to figure stuff out on yeah. my own i think we all need to uh, realize that like that's the way to determine and and i think that's why um, I think most people find something like CrossFit or something like um, this community um, so profoundly impactful in their life because it's empowering and you're, so you're empowering. reiterated on a daily basis that you're more capable than you thought you were. I, you know, I'm, I drink the, the cold Kool-Aid, man, but I, I think, you know, in particularly talking with adaptive athletes, 
talking to women who are in our culture are raised still to this day it's getting a lot better um but that they're frail and they're weak dude strength condition like any kind of like strength sport in sports in general just does such a great job the crossfit does that really well empowering uh, adaptive people and uh, that culture empowering women to be like you know i am strong I'm not strong exactly. like these two like we were here dude there are there are women here there's probably hundreds of women here who can back squat over 300 pounds absolutely legitimately back squat over 300 pounds and like absolutely most men who lift weights cannot do that right and, um yeah that's 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 still a the human the mind. human body it's, it's yeah. fascinating and the human what it's capable is, of is, like you said dude, it is is limitless yep um, in your mind yeah um man how do you do you think do you think the crossfit functional fitness community what do they you know, that that world you said what you hope the world views you as yeah what yeah. do you think the world views you as yeah well that was like that was kind of where i was going with that in terms of the efforts that i put towards uh this community yep. are with those thoughts in mind. Like yep. that's what, like when I first started CrossFit for my own personal performance and gain and wanted to get fitter and all this stuff, that was great. But I quickly realized that there is a massive opportunity to create a platform for extreme empowerment. We already, we all know this. If we've ever been to a CrossFit box and done a workout and high fived at the end, how empowering it is. Yeah. Now, couple that with someone who's had an expectation that they are less capable, that because they're in a wheelchair, they need a handicap sign everywhere they go. And they yeah. need someone to help open doors and to help them get up stairs or in and out of their wheelchair, whatever the case may be. Quality yeah. of life stuff, right? Yep. Imagine that expectation and showing them there's a way in a fun environment to get fitter to look better and then increase your functionality in this world, your yeah. quality of life. Um, you know, everything that CrossFit is the functional fitness side of it. The reason that burpees are important so that when you're geriatric, you can fall down and still get up. Like yep. that's ultimately it. Right. So now how do we apply that to the adaptive community? Uh, and that's where I have truly become obsessed and started to really geek out with uh, a, a few of my colleagues on the adaptive training staff and, and just the population in general always asking exploratory questions, always learning. Yeah. I by no means have it figured out, but I am obsessed with the process. I'm obsessed with learning how to improve those with some sort of limitation, how to increase their work capacity. Not work capacity so they can perform in a competitive workout, but work capacity so they can function in real world and have a better quality of life. That's why I have invented uh, gadgets, equipment, different things, and I immediately share them on my social media. You know, I'm, I'm the first one to say um, I wish I wasn't on Instagram as much as I am because it takes away from a lot of my personal life, but I know how in, in, I, Instagram is not just a distraction for me. It's an yeah. incredibly no. powerful tool that has put me in touch with people all over the world that would have never had these solutions or that I would never have been able to learn from on how to create these sort of things and um, develop education and develop awareness that, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Now let me show you how and let's talk about it and let's make sure you're doing it safely and with a, the right goals in mind. And, and that's been the coolest journey over the past five years in the CrossFit space 
and um, what I hope the world sees me as in that space. I, I, yeah, I asked it, but I, I know. I mean, I know for a fact because I mean, we've posted a picture before, and I think not even to not even to the culture of adaptive athletes, to people in general, and be like, your excuses yeah. are fucking worthless. Right? You can, dude, you can do everything that we can, and I love that. I gotta I imagine, like, I was always told by someone who was blind, like, um, yeah, like, don't, don't ask if you can help me. Like, I'll, I'll ask you if I need the help. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you know, the, any kind of, uh, of disabled or adaptive person is incredibly, if not more capable because they're doing just as much, if not more with less. Is that safe to assume? Like for those who aren't, those who maybe don't know someone who has like an adaptive situation or, um, they're missing a limb or they have decreased, um, ability or, or like, uh, control of, of a limb or something like that is yeah you become a perfectionist because you want to not only show that you're capable of doing it but you want to do it well yeah you don't want to be seen as uh he can do it but he doesn't do it that well because he's missing his arm yeah like like playing golf or something like i i am hypersensitive to my form and my technique because i have to be i'm doing it with one hand i don't have two hands to kind of just uh, nonchalantly just swing through with the right kind of swing, keep an eye on the ball kind of. No, it has to be drilled in. It has to be a, you know, uh, an excellence mentality to try to do it the right way, to try to get an average result, right? Yeah. So I think that just becomes, yeah, mindset part of it yeah. is uh, yeah, being doing all the little things extremely uh, with extreme intent. And that, like, leads to being able to say, oh, I can – do one arm pull-ups now or whatever the case may be. But yeah, yeah. I think generally speaking, uh, an adaptive individual tries to do things very well for, for important reasons for themselves to be capable of doing it. Would you say there's a, there's a higher correlation um, with the adaptive athletes that you know where that carries over into their regular life? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. You find that adaptive athletes who have that sort of mentality when it comes to their uh, physical abilities yeah. um, have no issue with pursuing a career or yeah. a lifestyle uh, that they'd want because I think it's just work ethic. You know, yeah. I think you're just reiterating do a, do hard work. Is it just that that road to being able to, you know, do everyday functions in life teaches that work ethic? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I truly believe so. Uh, that's what it was for me. Like that was, it was very clear for me. Like I, I had written out, like when I got out of the hospital, there were little things that I needed to figure out how to do on my own, like getting dressed in the morning, brushing granted, my man. teeth, how to make yeah. breakfast. Like I needed to figure these things out and they yeah. gave me a ton of confidence to be like, Oh shit. All right. Maybe I'll wakeboard. Maybe I can wakeboard with one arm. Maybe I can play lacrosse with one arm. Yeah. Maybe I can get on a barbell with one arm. Like it, that wasn't just like, the next day after you lose your arm, you're like, all right, I got to do things with one arm now. No, it was like, can I just function? Can I just be an independent individual? Yeah. And I, I'm certain that this is the most important part of a paraplegic. When you're confined to a wheelchair now, like you've got to understand how massively different your surroundings become. And the confidence you can gain from knowing you can transfer into a vehicle and out of a vehicle. And in these little tasks that start to become confidence builders and pieces of encouragement to be like, all right, all right, I can do this. If I can do this. I could probably do that. If I can do that, I should try to do this. I don't know if I can, but I should at least try. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a snowball effect sort of. Yeah. And I think that carries into personal lives for sure. 
I'd imagine so. Um, where can people find digest consume? Like what's social media? You wrote a book. Yeah, you do man. Speeches. I um. For the nonprofit. Frankly, uh, loganaldridge.com, which is uh, an old website. <laughs> I need to update it. But uh, Instagram is is definitely the most active. Uh, yeah. I'm most responsive on. I treat that um, as my number one outlet for information, uh, education, and just personally me. Like, you know, yep. I post pictures of my fiance and my dog on there too. But yep. I, I try to put like a lot of education on there with tips and tricks, things that I'm identifying especially in the in CrossFit, in the okay. fitness world, and uh, adaptive training, single arm training. What's so, that yeah, handle? that's my handles. Uh, it's last name, first name. So it's Aldridge Logan. Okay. Aldridge awesome. Logan, yep, on cool. Instagram. Um, and then another great platform, or uh, same platform, Instagram, but great account to see for um, incredible, incredible innovation and technique and education and athletes in the adaptive community is the Adaptive CrossFit page okay. and Wheelwad. Wheelwad, yeah. Yeah, Wheelwad is another phenomenal one, um, and I'm so lucky to get to work with those guys and uh, do what we do with uh, getting you know, Adaptive CrossFit into competitions, cool. making it awesome. legit for competitive adaptive athletes to, to show what they can do too. So, Sweet. yeah. Please, if anyone has any questions, curiosity, wants to know about technique, tools, equipment, uh, where to go to learn adaptive stuff, Reach out to me on and those the platforms. Logan, uh, the Logan Aldrich Foundation as well. Yeah, Logan yeah. Aldrich Foundation. More than yeah. happy to share more about that too if we yeah. have any interest uh, in getting involved. Yeah. Um, Logan Aldrich Foundation, yeah, raising money for children's hospitals. Awesome. Dude, thank you for your time. Probably thank get back you. to the Fidate booth. <laughs> They're probably honor. like, where is this? I know, it's, it's yeah. been a while, but <laughs> this has been refreshing. This air conditioning, sitting yeah. inside Rogue here. Yep. Uh, this has been amazing. Awesome. So, dude. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, it was my awesome. pleasure. See you guys. I love that one. That was really good. Um, he was just yeah, man like his parents were awesome how cool is that story that's like as a parent I was like tearing up I was like crying listening to him talk about some of that stuff I, can't, I just can't imagine watching like my baby or my kid having to go through that and then also imagine how like we talked about it, like how badass is his dad to have somehow actually stopped the bleeding by making a tourniquet with a shirt how fucking awesome is his mom to be like, Logan, it's just an arm, dude. And then, you know, like, you just want your kid to be safe. So, I don't know. That was a great story. And I think he's doing really cool stuff. So, the, what he does to be like a peer role model to those kids who are in that same situation, have someone there be like, hey, man. I know like what you're going through because I've been there and I know right now it, it is like almost unbelievable what you're having to deal with and come to come to grip with, come to reality with, but I'm here and I've been through it. Like, let me help you. Like, let me guide you. Um, Cause it's very hard to find someone who can easily relate to you in that aspect. Not that I've been there, but I can't imagine what, you know, most kids are going through when something like that happens and then he is a source of inspiration for everybody else too to be like man my excuses don't mean a whole lot i should be doing more or i should just be complaining less i have to do more and i just have to complain less and have a better perspective and have more gratitude and uh, love myself more have more compassion for myself right so i hope you guys enjoyed that 
rate us on iTunes, follow us if you don't follow us, maybe try our coffee, it'll make your life better, I can almost guarantee you that, you will perform better, you will do more, you will feel better, you will have a better coffee in your life, which is always great, but uh, thanks guys, we'll see you.